Hello, Tom Myers here. If you're like me and you've got a lot to say, a lot of stories to share, a lot of opinions to give, then listen up. I'm going to talk about something that's going to take your passion for podcasts to the next level. I'm talking about the 7 Million Bikes podcast course. This is the podcasting course you need. Imagine having the skills, the knowledge, and the confidence to create, produce, and grow a successful podcast. And you're not doing it alone. I'm talking about Neil Mackay, the podcast guy, founder of 7 Million Bikes Podcasts. He knows what it takes to turn your passion into a podcast that stands out. He's going to guide you through everything from podcast ideas that resonate to nailing that audio production and even editing your episodes like a pro. With 23 tutorials and over three hours of video content, this course is packed with practical tips, real-world examples, and everything you need to know to get started. Just $97 for a wealth of knowledge that'll set you up for podcasting success it's a no-brainer think about it less than a hundred bucks to unleash your creativity share your story and potentially even turn your passion into a profitable business people like ian payton who's taken the course launched their own podcast and already in the top 10 percent of podcasts worldwide and you could be next the seven million bikes podcast course is your ticket to podcasting greatness. Go to the link in my show notes right now and let's make your podcasting dream a reality. Hi, I'm A.A. Ron, the owner and producer of Oddly Funny Productions. That's A-W-D-L-Y Funny Productions. Bombing Run, the original comedy combat game show. It's an hour's worth of comedians clashing with their jokes. And soon to be released, Orbs Wacky World, a talk show with a twist. It will be a mix of comedy, unusual questions and music with orb as the host oddly funny productions we might be odd but we bring the funny to you that's a-w-d-l-y funny productions hey everyone it's me again if you're tired of listening to this show with all these ads in the way go ahead and subscribe to my patreon in addition to listening to this show without the ads you also get extended versions of these episodes and bonus clips as well doesn't cost that much you can get plans for as low as one dollar a month you can show the love and your support just go to patreon.com slash tom myers spelled m-y-e-r-s and subscribe and listen and enjoy today again that's patreon.com slash Tom Myers. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Tom Myers versus the rest of the world. Congressman Paul Gosar was censured by the House of Representatives for tweeting a video where he was photoshopped attacking Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as well as President Biden. He didn't seem bothered by the vote because he knew if he published that cartoon in Denmark, the worst he'd get would be death threats from non-members of Congress. Senator Patrick Leahy announced he's retiring. He won't run for another term as Senator of Vermont. As he's 81, he wants to go home and die the preferred way, not at the hands of a mob of people who believe the election was stolen. Steve Bannon made a court appearance after being indicted for contempt of Congress for refusing to comply with a subpoena from the January 6th commission. Steve Bannon looks like Joe Rogan if he had said, fuck mixed martial arts, and just started eating ding-dongs and playing Fortnite non-stop. Steve Bannon looks like Tim Dillon if he was kicked in the head by crystal meth. (laughs) 
Alex Jones was found liable in a defamation suit filed by the families of the Sandy Hook victims. Alex Jones should be used to it. He's been found guilty of defamation of news, research, and podcasting for years. For years, it was rumored that Alex Jones was actually the late great comedian Bill Hicks. On that note, I'm going to practice cancel culture of my own and not donate to the American Cancer Society until cancer takes the life of Alex Jones. <laughs> I will be amazed if IPM Nation and Odyssey Radio keep that one in. <laughs> <laughs> Sophia Eurista, the front woman of the band Brass Against, urinated on a male fan's face during a live show. Something tells me that's the first shower that guy's had in months. <laughs> Even after that display of performance art, the guy still looked more presentable than Steve Bannon. And now, on with the show. Please join me in welcoming Jeff Heisen, Abby Mello, and Gina Brown. <laughs> Jeff, Abby, Gina, how are y'all doing tonight? Glad to be here, Tom. Good to see you. Hey, Tom. One, one thing we learned today, Tom, in that House vote today being Wednesday, is that Republicans feel that when a, a comedian holds up a fake bloodied head of Donald Trump, that's worse than when a member of Congress posts an anime of that member of Congress killing another member of Congress. I think you mean when a female comedian does it versus a male member of Congress when he does it. I think that's the difference that we have to make here. That's true. true. That's true. So the, there is a, so you think they're being consistent or it's a double, a double mm -hmm. standard. I think they're being consistent in that they're consistently backing one of their own and screwing everybody else. <laughs> it's a consistent double standard. <laughs> Abby, how about yourself? I mean, I've been following the, the, the Kyle Rittenhouse case mostly for the memes about his fake crying, which are really amusing. Um, that's really the only amusing thing about all of this. However, the memes about crocodile tears are very funny. Wasn't it strange how the one black juror was dismissed uh, during the random selection of which juror gets to go home? Coincidence? Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> it is rural Wisconsin. Speaking of consistency, it's the American justice system hard at work. Gina, how about yourself? Trying not to watch anything about that trial whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 embarrassing. I, I shake. I, I I know they're I think they're deliberating. Aren't they deliberating now? Yes. At the time of recording, they're still deliberating. <laughs> at the time of recording, exactly. <laughs> Put it this way. At the time of recording, they have yet to declare the mistrial. Yeah, I mean, I as soon as the whole um, no more black pastors, <laughs> like that, I was, I mean, I was done before, but that, we just allow some very strange things to be said and no, nobody censures, nobody does anything about it. And we're just okay with it. We're okay with that. We're okay with the comment about the Asian food. We're just okay with whatever. And we watch I, it like it's not, it should be from like the onion or something, but it's not, it's real. <laughs> I think as long as they're not beating police officers to death with flagpoles and walking around shirtless wearing horns on their heads, that's 
got to be considered a new acceptable normal. The COVID-19 pandemic has made American workers rethink their priorities. Whether they want their employment situation to be business as usual, pun intended, or whether they want to take control of their own destinies. For years, workers have been looking for opportunities to not rely on their occupational situation to dictate their life path. However, when we start to question why businesses can be so profitable, yet be unable to share their wealth with the people who actually do the work for them, the people who do so are dismissed as un-American, socialists, and, for good measure, as people who hate the troops. In my case, all those things are true, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Please join me in welcoming our guest, Caitlin Rupert. Hello. <laughs> Caitlin, welcome to the show. Glad you could join us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Caitlin, I've known you for a long time now, followed you on social media. I know you've posted a lot about your various jobs, your various means of employment, and a lot of the experiences that you've had. Mm -hmm. What do you see in today's job market? Do you see a shift towards towards the worker, or what do you notice about it? Ah, uh, the proletariat, yes. Um, I, I think the proletariat is having their day. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting. Um, I've I've bipped and bopped around um, working back in restaurants. Um, at this point, I'm a bartender. And last summer, I was I was working as a, a waitress in the Hamptons. Um, and I think a lot of people are saying, "Oh, nobody wants to work." That's what everybody, everybody keeps saying. I keep hearing, "Nobody wants to work." And I think, for one, we have to admit that the people who were doing all of these, you know, low end jobs, uh, for the most part are dead from COVID. And they're not dead. It's that, <laughs> yes, they don't want to friggin' work. They don't want to go back into these these environments that 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 value them as much as like, you know, a piece of toast. Like a, no, you're not you're not gonna want to go work for some people who not I shouldn't even say this it's not even just the people they're working for. It's also the people they're working around. So it's, it, it's, it's the customers. It's people who are coming into these jobs because it, it's a lot of customer service things. It's not even just restaurants. It's, you know, sitting at a front desk and, and at a hotel and nobody wants to do these things anymore because people come in expecting you to just bow to them and nobody wants to bow to anybody anymore. They're like, oh, no, it's, I could die. I could die from bowing to you. Not going to do it anymore. Yeah, if you're working at a hotel, there's a difference between like making sure a customer has fresh towels and just letting them get in your face unmasked because the cleaning staff forgot to put, forgot to put shampoo in their bathroom. Right. And I should mention it's the other side of things, too. It, it, it's not just that sort of thing it's also people who are overly covid conscious who go i cannot believe i found a hair in my bathroom because that means you didn't clean it and if you didn't clean it i might die from covid and it's like well no but you're still coming to a hotel if you're coming to a hotel if you're coming to a restaurant if you're coming to any of these places you're clearly not that covid conscious so maybe shut up and just let me be a human who exists in the world and don't put all of these these restrictions on me either because you're out you're out in public if you if you really are that conscious about covid stay home just stay home don't come out that's it i think part of it 
is that people are tired of making $15 an hour, well, period. But then you add in the factors that Caitlin mentioned, including having Karen yell at you because you don't, you forgot to put ranch dressing in the bag. Uh, and then she's may have dropped her mask. And then you say, why am I doing this for $15 an hour, especially when uh, billionaires are going into space just for the fun of it? And they see so many people working from home and they can't do that because their skill set requires them to be in the front lines dealing with Karen. Jeff, I love that you use the word skill set because for decades, people have been calling these jobs unskilled or low skilled jobs. And then all of a sudden they became essential. And these people realized, right, I am essential. I am doing Mm. essential work. But for years it was denigrated as an unskilled job. That's a good point. Wow, Kate, Caitlin really, really made us uh, raise our game. <laughs> the fight over whether companies should pay their employees proportionate to their profits is nothing new. Here is a pre-pandemic questioning in the House Financial Services Committee of the CEO of Wells Fargo by Congresswoman Katie Porter. I also wanted to ask you, have you heard of the song, um, Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys? I don't believe I have. It's written by an American hero, Willie Nelson. Um, I have three kids, Mr. Scharf, and I'm thinking of writing a new song. Uh, Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be bank tellers. Mr. Scharf, how many of your tellers are currently receiving public assistance in this country? I'm not aware of Congresswoman. Right now, one-third of bank tellers in the United States receive public assistance. Madam Chair, I'd like permission to enter into the record the study from the University of California, Berkeley, that shows that the cost of public benefits to families of bank tellers is almost $900 million per year. Without objection, such is the order. So taxpayers are subsidizing Wells Fargo's wages to the tune of $900 million per year. I don't want my kids to grow up and be Wells Fargo tellers because statistically speaking, one of the three would end up needing public assistance. Um, Is Wells Fargo profitable? Is Wells Fargo profitable? Uh, I I believe it is, yes, Congresswoman. You you believe? I mean, it's 19.5 billion last year, so we can round that up to 20 billion, that's profit. So the bank can afford to pay its tellers significantly more. Do you think the hardworking taxpayers of this country should be shoring up Wells Fargo's teller's salaries when the bank has, has profits of $20 billion a year and paid out $30 billion in buybacks and dividends last year? Congressman, I believe we should pay people fairly, and I believe the actions that we've taken, especially recently by raising the minimum wage, um, does in fact do that. We also, in addition to- You raise the, the wage only in high cost areas, however, not across the board. You raise the wage only in high cost areas, not across the board. We raised our wages in four different tiers. That CEO probably went out to a bar and thought to himself, I'm gonna get fucking hammered. Yeah. In fact, he went ahead and ordered shots of top shelf liquor, looked at the bill and thought, this could have bought football uniforms for the team of the kid of one of my tellers. 
I just think, I mean, he should have known if you're going to go to a fight with Katie, yeah. you, you need to study hard. She doesn't ask a question she doesn't already have the answer to. So <laughs> you need to come prepared. He needed to come guns, guns loaded. And he had nothing. He's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he was thinking if they wanted to be rich like me, they should have been born into it. Right. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I want to make out with that woman. Uh, that was so hot. <laughs> Katie's, Katie's good. She was like on top of it. I love that. But uh, also, it, it, it's a weird. So I, I used to work in Australia, and it's a weird thing where. Um, it's almost like there isn't a level level playing field because rich CEOs get to do that where they go, oh yeah, just go on public assistance essentially and I'm going to pay you less and make more off of you. Whereas there are other businesses that it's kind of the same thing except for they don't make more off of their workers. They have to have that supplemented because they can't afford off of the business, like the small businesses, they can't yeah. afford to give them health insurance. And places like Australia, the government pays for all of it, all around the board, the, the big businesses, the small businesses, so the small businesses have a better fighting chance because it's more equal. They don't have to uh, continually make up for these things that are happening. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but, but basically, um, She's right to call him out, and that guy's an asshole. <laughs> and as far as Australia goes, it's not so much a liberal versus conservative thing because countries like Australia and the United Kingdom and Canada, they offer those kind of things such as nationalized health care plan. Right. I think yeah. the need to turn basic needs into profit for major companies is something that's uniquely American. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, you're absolutely yeah. right. Actually, I, I recently read a lot on the history of this, actually, when um, so after World War Two, it became you were not allowed to I'm going to butcher this, but um, sort of the old company towns weren't allowed to wage fix. And so as a way to kind of keep everybody at a certain level, they offered these benefits um, like health insurance. And that's how it became kind of tied up with the company town culture. And it is very uniquely American. With the corrupt and exploitive nature of big business now out in the open and being covered by more mainstream news outlets, the presence of strikes is more noticeable, as is the case with these John Deere employees. In the wee hours of Thursday morning, 10,000 workers at John Deere hit the picket lines in Iowa, Illinois, and Kansas on strike for the first time in 35 years at Deere. They're demanding better pay, secure pensions, a fair share of a hugely profitable American company. The company wants to eliminate pensions altogether for new people, and we refuse to sell people down the road like that. Sounds like it's about sticking together. Yes, it's about ways. sticking together now and for the people that come after us. And about better pay. Yes, absolutely. The company, their profits have just been through the roof. Workers argue that even as John Deere's profits grew by 61% in recent years and their CEO's salary grew by 160% during the pandemic, their pay has actually been cut. We need to let them know that they can't continue to take our money and take our money and take our money. It's day one of this fight, but the women and men here on the picket line, the people who build those iconic green John Deere farm vehicles, they're bracing for a long strike. American workers want more, and they're willing to strike to get it. 
Now to Terry Moran, who's outside John Deere headquarters in Illinois. Terry, we can see some of those on strike right behind you there. What have been what have been some of the emotions there on the ground? You've spoken to many of them. You know, Stephanie, the emotions here on these picket lines, it's so intense. After years of frustration, it feels uh, like a dam is bursting here and, and around the country. It's a hard decision to go on strike. It's hard for the workers. They know uh, that they are putting their families in a tough position. But right now it feels like they're fed up not only with pay and pensions issues, but really with the whole system. The pie's getting bigger and bigger for corporate executives and bosses and investors. And what workers here and around the country are saying is that it should get bigger for workers, too. I don't know how many people have ever been caught behind a piece of farm equipment on a two-lane road, but I think they should just not strike and troll the company executives right. by waiting until they leave their homes and then getting in front of them, you know, making them drive 15 miles an hour to get to their <laughs> cushy jobs. That might break them. <laughs> David, I'm from upstate New York. John Deere is how we got to school. Like... <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> Why do you think people are more conscious of what CEOs make? Do you think it's the pandemic refocused people? Do you think it's stunts like Bezos flying into space? But these workers, uh, one of the factors cited in the, in the clip is how much uh, the CEO makes. And the CEO always, has always made much more than the common man. Why do you think that this has become a focal point now for uh, for lower-waged employees? Yeah, I mean, we had more time to think about things over the pandemic, right? So everybody's at home or they've lost their job or whatever their situation was. There was way more time to think about it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I really am not going to take it anymore, you know? So I'm giving it up to the millennials on this one, Jeff. I We have to take our hats off to them. <laughs> we, we also have to mention that um, because of legalities, it's public. Their salaries are public. You, you don't know what, what non-CEOs make. You don't know what the guy who is your manager at your small town job is making. Because that's not going to be public. It's going to be public, though, what a CEO makes. And uh, when you look it up and you compare it to everybody else at the company, you go, oh, my God, that's a lot. The gap has been growing dramatically over the last two decades. Between, you know, it used to be that managers and bosses and CEOs made more than their workers. I don't even know how many times more that would be than the average, you know, person who's working in that manufacturing plant. But that that gap has grown dramatically, particularly with um, when you look at stock options and the other types of bonuses that they're getting. So that's also factored in there and um, not to get us too off topic, but I think that's why we're also seeing this trend towards growing employee ownership types of options um, as a way of kind of redistributing that that income for the company. The issue is not whether people are able to get jobs, but rather if they want jobs. After years of being slanted toward business, the marketplace is slowly moving toward the benefit of the job seeker, as we can see in this clip. Workers are emboldened. They have more leverage as companies continue to struggle to hire enough employees. There are 50% more job openings today than pre-pandemic. And this intersects with another phenomenon, the great resignation. A record-breaking 4.3 million Americans quit their jobs in August alone, a 242,000 jump from July, and a 1.3 million jump from a year ago. 
With extended COVID unemployment benefits run out, workers are defying the experts who predicted a return to the workforce, with many choosing to walk away, even without a safety net. Normally, we see quits rise when the labor market is hot because that's when workers are best able to find other opportunities, or at least they feel confident in leaving their job currently uh, because they know that another opportunity is just around the corner. Low-wage industries like retail, food service, and healthcare, some of the hardest hit. I think this last year and a half has really challenged us to look differently uh, at the people aspect of business, really place the value in them. And Stephanie joins me now live. Steph, good morning. Great to see you. These strikes and quits point to an employee market. So how much of this has to do with the pandemic? What's the consensus, the working theory about why all this is happening now? Willie, this is all about the pandemic, and we shouldn't be surprised. Historically speaking, traumatic events have caused major changes in the workforce landscape. And you have to remember, this isn't just a labor shortage, it's a labor shift. Some of the industries that are having the hardest time bringing employees back, leisure and hospitality, home health care workers, child care workers, small mom and pop retail businesses. Well, think back a year and a half. Those are the same businesses that laid off millions and millions of people. Lots of those people aren't sitting at home. They shifted into other industries completely. Think about Walmart, Target, Amazon. Those big box stores have hired millions of people to their distribution centers, and they're looking to hire more. And those are jobs that offer less one-on-one contact, which is a concern for people worried about COVID. They often pay more, and they offer benefits. I like to think of the hospitality industry as the ex who's turned psychotic you know, lets you go and then comes back and says, we can work all this out. I got therapy. <laughs> I mean, like I, I, I was, uh, when I got my uh, job bartending, I was on unemployment and we, at the time we were getting the, the extra bonus. And so I got the job, I think like two weeks before that was about to end. Cause I figured everybody else would be wanting <laughs> a job once that extra bonus ended the federal yeah. bonus. And uh, honestly, I'm shocked that for the most part, that hasn't happened. I mean, my job is a good job, so it's fine. But like, also, I thought that um, all the rest of like the, the, you know, all, all the other things in the restaurant would be filled up super quick. We were still struggling even after that ended, despite what everybody said. And I really do think it is just that, like, either people went to other industries or or they just didn't want to do it or they, like, started going to college or getting degrees online because everything was offered online at that point. So they're like, okay, well, I can sit at home at my mom's house where I moved back because of the pandemic and I could just get a college education. And that that, that's where things landed. And um, yeah, for, for people. And I mean, I'll tell you, customers are not nicer because of the pandemic. They're not nicer because of short staffing. They're still just as shitty for the most part. And um, so I don't feel bad for them. When I they try to be their- nicer. I try to be nicer. Absolutely. <laughs> this is, this is disappointing so. to hear. With new and innovative ways of making your way in the job market, there are new ways of bidding farewell to one's employment. As this former Walmart employee shows us. Attention all Walmart shoppers! After almost two years of working at Walmart, Shauna Raglan decided that she had had enough. I f***ing quit! I'm out. I loved it at first. I truly did and I wanted to keep that job for 
a long time. Raglan worked as a CAP 2, an employee that unloads trailers and organizes stock. But she claims that her managers and co-workers created a toxic environment for her and other employees. They set a standard and expected us to follow another one. Um, so it was it was pretty bad all around. Even making sexist comments to her or being racist towards other employees. They would say some pretty nasty things to me at a very young age. You are all perverts and I hope you don't talk to your daughters the way you talk to me. A week ago when Raglan decided to quit, she got on the loudspeaker and called out her managers and co-workers by name, then posting the video to TikTok. I just want to come on here and say is a racist, stinky is racist. A is a of a manager. I said those things because there are young girls that work there and I knew for a fact if I reported those things they would have gone unnoticed. The video now has over 24 million views. Raglan saying she doesn't regret quitting the way that she did and hoping that her message is heard by more than just those who were shopping at Walmart. The only time society or managers ever listen to anybody is when you're upset and you're at your last straw and you do something like this. So I felt like I had to do it, not for myself, but for girls, for those black associates, for for everybody. I love it. I want to see more of this stuff. That quit announcement sounds like every single Facebook comment thread about a beef in a local comedy scene. This club booker doesn't book women. This comic is a racist. <laughs> That's many, many, many club managers and many, many, many. I mean, you don't even have to name them. <laughs> I, I think, I think honestly, we don't see these things anymore because people rely so much on the reference and the all of that sort of situation where I, I, I love it when somebody shits on their former boss <laughs> or their former employer. To sum up, eventually, the system as it stands will have to break. We don't know when the ultimate breaking point will occur, nor do we know in which direction. It could very well be that despite the repeated calls for businesses to incentivize their new employees with bonuses, health insurance, and educational opportunities, big business could still get very powerful lobbies, putting millions of dollars into campaigns to elect pro-business, anti-worker candidates who, once elected, will embolden employers to take steps that harken back to the days before the labor movement. It will start with the reduction of benefits and retirement plans. After all, what's the point of preparing for retirement when workers will be so demoralized that they will pump exhaust fumes into their vehicles and just end it all? Then, realizing they can't even afford to purchase the gas to do so, resort to slamming their heads in their car doors over and over again until they lose consciousness. The dead carcasses will be cleaned up by myriad vultures circling over these depressed neighborhoods to pick the bodies clean. In fact, these vultures picking apart the dead bodies will be the only species on Earth where a supermajority of them will consistently be able to find the clitoris. <laughs> As a result, the new corporate symbol of the United States of America will be a vulture with a Walmart stockboy's nutsack dangling from its beak, for they will be the only true free creatures in this country. <laughs> and on that note, that's our show! I want to thank Jeff Heisen, Abby Mello, Gina Brown, and Caitlin Rupert. <laughs> this episode was written and hosted by Tom Myers with panelists Jeff Heisen, Abby Mello, and Gina Brown, and guest 
Caitlin Rupert. Theme music by Euron Vandenberg. Executive producer, Tom Myers. Executive producer for IPM Nation, Matt Connerton. For more information, visit tommyers.us. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you want to listen to more of this episode, go ahead and subscribe to my Patreon. There you can get extended versions of episodes like this one, as well as bonus clips. You can even listen to regular episodes without all these pesky little ads through which you have to fast forward. Doesn't really cost that much. Plans as low as $1 a month. Go to patreon.com slash Tom Myers, spelled M-Y-E-R-S. Show the love, subscribe, show your support today. That's patreon.com slash Tom Myers. Hi everyone. I'm Orb. I am not the official spokesperson for Oddly Funny Productions. That's A-W-D-L-Y Funny Productions. A-A-Ron is tied up right now. Shut up, I'll untie you in a minute. Here at Oddly, we're producing some great shows. Bombing Run, where comedians compete to see who's Joker Ace. And Orb's Wacky World, a talk show with a mix of comedy, uncomfortable questions, and music hosted by yours truly. When you think of comedy, think of Oddly Funny Productions. That's A-W-D-L-Y, Funny Productions. Now, how do I get out of here? Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now.